Once again, I'd like to ask you to turn to the Gospel of John, the 8th chapter this morning. We're in the middle of chapter 8. Last week we looked at the attempt by the Pharisees to attack our Lord through the case of a woman caught in adultery. And this text that follows here, follows this, is our Lord is still at the Feast of Tabernacles. We'll be looking at chapter 8 from verses 12 to 30. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. John chapter 8, beginning at verse 12. Again Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I come from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore... Where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. As He was saying these things, many believed in Him. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for His blessing upon it. 
Lord, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes. That in your word, you would allow us to see the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That we would see that he is indeed the true light of the world. That he is our light. He is our Savior. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. We live in a dark world. You don't need me to give you examples of that if you spend any time at all reading or watching the news of this world. There are wars and deaths. There are persecutions, imprisonments, and tortures. There are abuses that are given to innocent people all throughout our nation and the world. The world is a dark place with injustice and a lack of peace. But that's not the only place where darkness is found. We don't have to just look outside ourselves to find darkness. If we're introspective, if we're honest with ourselves, we have darkness within ourselves also. There are so many things that we have done that we are ashamed of. Events we don't even like to recall to mind. So many things we have failed to do. Kindnesses we have failed to show. Mercies we have failed to give. What do we do with this darkness? This darkness that is all around us and within us. This morning in our text, Jesus shows us the solution for darkness. Once again, Jesus uses a very public opportunity and place to declare who he is to the world and to you and me. There are so many different aspects of how our Savior is glorious that this is but one facet, if you will, of the diamond of our Savior. Jesus tells us that he is the light of the world. Now what does that mean? This morning as we look at this text, I'd like us to see three things in succession. The very first thing that I would like us to see is that we need light. Light is not optional for us. We are in need of light. And the second thing that we see by God's grace is that Jesus is the light. That we need light, but Jesus is the light. And then finally, perhaps most importantly, Jesus is not only the light. The third thing that we see is that Jesus is the only light. That there is no other light other than Jesus. There is no light that we should seek. There is no light that we will find apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. We need light. Jesus is the light. And Jesus is the only light. Well, let's begin then by looking at how the text teaches us that we need light. The first thing we need to remember is the context of our passage. We're here in the middle of chapter 8, but really the events have been occurring since chapter 7. You will remember that Jesus is at the Feast of the Tabernacles, and that this was the most joyous feast of all of the major feasts in Israel. This was the fun feast. This was an opportunity of rejoicing and feasting, of 
remembering God's blessing as the harvest has brought in. And all of the people remembering God's deliverance through the days and years of the wilderness by building booths, that is tabernacles or tents, and camping outdoors, if you will, during this feast. This was a time in which Israel would crowd into the city of Jerusalem. It is said that Jerusalem would grow fourfold by all of the pilgrims coming into the city. And they would build tents, sleep outdoors, and rejoice. And you will see here that not only at certain points in the feast, but even now, Jesus is in the temple. We see that in verse 20. He spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. Now remember that the temple is more than just a building. The temple is actually a complex. <laughs> and so we have not only the building, the, the inner portion of the temple, where the Holy of Holies was, and where the sacrifices were brought, and where the high priest went, but outside that area were two courts, if you will, two areas. The first was the court of the women where Jewish women would come and would worship the Lord in the outer area of the temple. Not to go into the inner sanctum, into the Holy of Holies, but in an outer court. And outside that, further yet, was the court of the Gentiles, which was even bigger, larger. And Gentiles could come and inquire about the Lord and worship the Lord, even if they were not circumcised and were not Jews. And what's important for our purposes here is that each of these large courts, much bigger than a building, were open to the air. And so there was no building there. It could be seen everywhere. And you will remember that the temple area itself was set on a mount. We talk about the temple mount. And so the temple and its environment could be seen from all of Jerusalem and even from the environment around it. Now this is important because one of the things that happened at the Feast of Tabernacles that made it such a glorious feast was that there was something called a festival of lights. Now, I have some understanding of what that means because I was born and grew up at my young time in Niagara Falls, New York. And in Niagara Falls, there is something called a festival of lights that goes on during the holiday season at Christmas time. And what happens is lights are strung all along snow-filled streets and sidewalks, and candles are put out by businesses. And the falls itself is lit up with lights. It is a festival of lights that you can come, put a very heavy coat on, and walk through the snow and just enjoy the beauty of it. That's a picture of what's going on here. In the temple area, it was said that there were four large, well, gigantic, really, torches set up at each corner of the temple area. And they were so tall that the younger priests had to get on ladders and climb up to fill the torches with oil and light them. And each torch had gallons and gallons of oil put in it. And then in the inner court, there would be thousands of candles that would be lit. And their flames would flicker. And all of this light would be seen not only throughout the temple, but throughout all of Jerusalem. It was an exciting and beautiful time. And, and we can understand that. I'm sure that you aren't exactly thrilled when the power goes out in your house and you have to light some candles. But think also that there is a beauty and a wonder to candlelight as the light flickers 
You know, there's a reason why we end our Christmas Eve celebrations with a candlelit singing of Silent Night. I know that more than one of us have enjoyed candlelit dinners. We enjoy these things. And so you could just imagine how joyful people were as they saw and participated in this festival of lights. The light was not only for joy, it was also a reminder of the wilderness wanderings of the people of Israel. You may recall that as we talked about the the ceremony of the water, that that reminded the Israelites of how God had provided water during the wilderness wanderings. Well, so it is true of light here. You may remember that how Israel moved during the 40 years is there was a pillar of cloud during the day, and when the pillar of cloud moved, they followed it. And when it stopped, they stopped. And at night, there was not a pillar of cloud, there was a pillar of fire. And the pillar of fire lit their way as they went, and provided them comfort as they stayed. And this pillar of fire was more than just a guiding light. It was also a protective light. You may recall that when the Israelites first left Egypt and were up against the Red Sea, that it was the pillar of fire that stood between the Israelites and the Egyptian army. And the Egyptians could not attack Israel because the pillar of fire was between them. And this would be what would come to mind of the Israelites during this festival. This is important for us to remember because that's the context when Jesus stands up in the midst of the temple and declares, I am the light of the world. This is what Israel would remember. There's a meaning to light and Jesus is drawing on their biblical knowledge. So for example, the psalmist writes in Psalm 27, a well-known passage to many of us. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I won't fear because the Lord is my light. But the light from the Lord is more than just protection. It's also guidance. The psalmist writes in Psalm 119, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The light guides us where we are to go. It gives us safety and shows us where we're to go. If you have ever, like me, gotten up in the middle of the night to get a drink or some medicine or just to stretch your legs when it's dark, you get up and you're sure you're in a good place because you know where the table is and you know where the chairs are and you're safe even though you can't see anything. But especially... In those days when there are young children in the house, if you're walking in the dark, you're very likely to trip over a truck or to step on some Legos or to know that someone has pulled a chair out further than they should have and you find that out with a semi-broken toe. You see, walking around in the darkness is not safe. It's not fun. Even if we think we know where we're going, there are dangers. Proverbs puts it this way, for the commandment, that is the commandment of the Lord, is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. God guides us. He's a light to us. But there's more to light than protection and guidance. Light in the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, is hope. The hope of light. Habakkuk writes in chapter 3, God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor 
covered the heavens, and the earth was full of His praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from His hand, and there He veiled His power. And if you remember the context of Habakkuk's prophecy, it was at a time when the Chaldeans were about to attack Israel. And the Israelites were wondering if they'd be swept off the face of the earth. They're wondering what hope they could possibly have in spite of this. And Habakkuk says, the Lord is your hope. He is your light. Look to Him. But the light of the Lord is not just for Israel. It's not just for some small group of people. Isaiah teaches us this in chapter 49 of his prophecy. Isaiah's book is so filled with the gospel of grace that some commentators refer to it as the gospel of Isaiah. And in chapter 49 he writes, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. The light of God, the hope of salvation, is for everyone. It's for you. It's for me. This is also a message that comes to us from Jesus. You see, he says, I am the light of the world to remind us that he is ushering in a new age. Up until this point, God's people have just seen the shadows of God's work. They've seen the shadows of the sacrificial system. They've seen feasts and types. But now that Jesus has come, the substance is here. John points this out to us in chapter 1 of this gospel. He says, Moses brought the law. But Jesus brought grace and truth. And the irony here is that after Jesus, there will be no more need for this feast. No more need for this ceremony. Because Jesus is the true light. The light that these candles and torches merely picture. But more than our need for light around us, Jesus is speaking about the heart. Because outside of Jesus Christ, we are in darkness. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jeremiah tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and wicked. We cannot even know it. And Jesus knows that we cannot bring ourselves into the light. That we can't dispel the darkness. Now, stop and think about that for a moment. When the power goes out at your home and it's dark, what do you do? Do you open up your doors and your windows and let the darkness go out? Maybe you are very industrious and you set up fans to blow the darkness out. Right? Is that what you do? If you do, it's a bit foolish. Right? Now apply that to our lives. It's just as foolish to think we can dispel our own darkness without the light of Christ coming in. Jesus makes this clear to us. He makes it personal for us. He is the light that we need, each and every one of us. This gets us to the second thing I want us to see this morning. That Jesus is the light. It's not just that we need light, but the provision is given in Jesus. Jesus does not stop at diagnosing our condition. Imagine with me, if you will, 
if you went to go see a doctor and the doctor ran some tests and gave you a physical and sat you down and said, well, I've got some concerning news for you. You have an illness and this illness is serious and it's going to affect the way you live. It's going to affect your energy level. It's going to affect what you can eat and it's a real problem. And he stops. And after a long pause, you say, well, what are we going to do, doc? Is there medicine? Is there a surgery? How are we going to deal with this? And he says, oh, no, 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 I don't do that. I don't provide any, any cures. I don't talk about any treatments. All I do is just diagnose the problem. You're on your own. Would you ever go back to that doctor again? No, I don't think so. But you see, Jesus isn't like that. He doesn't just diagnose our problem. He tells us the solution. He makes this bold claim. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If you follow Jesus, you will not be in the darkness. You will be in the light. And you will have the light of life. The solution is to follow Jesus. It's not just that he is the light. He is your light. You are to follow him. Now, the Pharisees understood the nature of his claim if not the totality of it. That's why they say to him in verse 13, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Now, what are they doing here? Well, what they're doing is they're twisting Jesus' words back that we read in chapter 5, verse 31. Jesus says, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. And so they're saying, you're bearing witness about yourself only. You said it, Jesus. It's not true. Now, a brief aside here. What the Pharisees are doing is taking a portion of Scripture out of context. Satan does that as well when he tempts Jesus. And so I want to encourage you not to ever take Scripture out of context. And don't let someone else discourage you by doing that. Because the Pharisees, quite tellingly, forget verse 32 in which Jesus says, there is another who bears witness, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. So what Jesus has already said is, I'm not just bearing witness of myself. There's another, the Father, who bears witness, and we have not one, not two human witnesses, but two divine witnesses. And that's what Jesus will say throughout this passage. I know where I'm coming from. I know where I'm going. The one who sent me is true. This is not just my testimony. Now that doesn't mean that Jesus's testimony as God himself would not be enough, but it's not just Jesus's testimony. So Jesus makes it clear that we are to follow him. So how does Jesus deal with darkness? If Jesus were like every other teacher and philosopher in the history of the world, he would simply claim to enlighten people. You know that verb, right? E-N-lighten. That is, to give knowledge. It's what teachers do. I'll give you information. I'll give you facts. And that will make you smarter. It will enlighten you. And then therefore you will be able to live life in a better way because you will know more. Jesus knows that's not sufficient for us. Because our problem is not a lack of knowledge only. Our problem is that we love sin, and we need to forsake it, and we need to seek righteousness. 
And so Jesus not only gives truth, we're going to find out in months to come that Jesus is not only the light of the world, but that he is the truth. But here he reminds us that Jesus deals with our darkness. He enters into our darkness. He knows what's in the heart of man. He knows our rebellion. He knows our sin. And yet the one who is light enters into the darkness. On Calvary, Jesus was surrounded by darkness. Not just physically, although he was. In the last hour of his life, the sun was blotted out and darkness came over the land at noon. But Jesus also took on the blackness of sin. He was under the darkness of God's judgment. The Father turned His face from the Son, and the Son cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus passed under the darkness of death. It's significant that not only did our Lord die, but that He remained under the power of death for a time in the tomb, in darkness. Yet none of that darkness could hold Him. Can you picture the sun bursting through the clouds? I think one of my favorite sights in all of nature is on a rainy day when the rain stops and the clouds begin to part and the sun bursts through from the sky. You can even see the beams of light from heaven to earth. It's glorious. It's overpowering. It's overwhelming. That's what the breaking of the empty tomb is. You remember the story of the empty tomb? What got the attention of the women? The loud noise as the stone was rolled away, declaring that Jesus was the Son of God with power, Paul tells us, because of the resurrection. Jesus' light overcomes any darkness that you have. I'm not here to tell you that your life is perfect and fine and you should be happy. I'm not here to tell you you don't have any troubles or your troubles don't matter. What I'm here to tell you from God's word is that Jesus is greater than your troubles. That Jesus is greater than the darkness in your life. And that should give you great hope. Do not despair. Jesus is the light of the world. This is the testimony of who Jesus is. He's not just the bringer of light. He is the light who makes all the difference. John will tell us at the very end of Revelation that there is no need any longer for sun or moon because the light of the sun will give us light eternally. Jesus then makes an interesting statement in verse 21. He reminds us that he's not only the light, but that he is the only light. In verse 21, he says, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Jesus says he's going away. And he says that they will seek him, and they will die in their sins. So what is Jesus getting at here? Don't those who seek Jesus gain eternal life? Is he saying, you will seek me, and yet still fail to obtain eternal life? No, I think what Jesus means here is that they will seek the Messiah. 
They had the Messiah, the Christ, standing right before them. And it's as if they say, get out of the way, Jesus. We're looking for the Messiah. And we actually know this is true because after Jesus' death and resurrection, there were other so-called messiahs that rose up and the Pharisees followed after them. And the reason was, was these so-called messiahs preached a gospel of overthrowing Rome and of power for the Jews and of a political kingdom. They had a gospel that played in to the power and the rights of the Pharisees rather than the scriptures. And so they're seeking a messiah but they won't find him because they've rejected him already. And what Jesus is saying here is if you reject me, if you don't receive me, you will die in your sins. There's no other Messiah. There's no other hope. There's no other way. Beloved, there are not many ways to God. There is one way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the light of the world. We need to understand that. They can't go because they've rejected Jesus. Now, so many people in our world today want what Jesus offers. But they don't want him. And Jesus makes it clear that our only hope is in him. So many people want joy. They want peace. But they don't want Jesus. And you can't have joy. You can't have peace apart from Jesus. It's only by believing in Jesus that you can escape the darkness of death. Look at verse 24. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now this is not a popular message today. People want to have it their own way. They want to be able to pick and choose what they believe. They don't want to have an exclusive Jesus. They don't want to submit to Jesus. It's interesting, this week I saw a story about a politician. Now as soon as I say that, you're wondering, well, pastor, what crazy thing are you going to tell me what this politician did? Because you know, politicians, they're crazy. They think that there are laser beams up in space shooting things down. They think that plants and grass can talk. They think there are all sorts of crazy things. We elect all sorts of people who say all sorts of crazy things, right? Well, this story was about a politician and how there was no possible way that she could become the next premier of Scotland. Do you know why? Because she dared to be a Christian. That's right. The person before her who resigned believed that grade school children should be able to have surgeries to change their gender. That wasn't beyond the pale. What was beyond the pale was to believe that Jesus is the Savior, that he's the light. That was evidence that she's so crazy, we shouldn't let her anywhere near power. This is a debate that's going on right now in Scotland. Every other aspect of this politician's life is exemplary. She is a moral woman. She is a wise woman. People will admit the, the training she's had and the education she's had and the ideas she has. But the thing that is beyond the pale is that she believes that only Jesus can save. You see, we must hear the truth today of who Jesus is and what he does for us. Do you see that Jesus is not 
a light in the world? Do you trust him alone? Not with anything else. Not hedging your bets. Not having a side order. Do you see that Jesus is the one that the Father sent? Jesus tells us that in verse 29. He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Jesus is the one who frees us from darkness. Jesus is calling to you today. He is not telling you to get rid of the darkness in the world. He is telling you that He is the light who has come to overcome the darkness. He's not just the light of the world. He is your light. He is your Savior. He is the one who makes all the difference in your life. Let's pray.